Hello, and welcome to Grand Final History and its special supplementary episode for the 1928 season, focusing on the VFA's proposal to affiliate with the VFL. If you want the regular episode about the 1928 season and who will win the Premiership, etc., then go to episode 32, 1928. A lot depends on you today. But if you want to learn more about the fractious relationship between the oldest football competition in Victoria and its more successful breakaway league and what might have been in 1928, then listen on. As you may know, the VFA first formed in May 1877 by a number of Melbourne clubs to help coordinate games. And as the years went by, it became more structured, but not everyone was happy. The more successful clubs resisted attempts to pull admission revenue. There was also some unhappiness about the level of violence associated with some clubs. And there was also a push to update the rules of the game. So in 1897, eight teams established the VFL. It would quickly become the more successful competition in attracting spectators, hence money, and hence better players. The Victorian Football League also saw itself as the senior competition, helping to organise the Australian National Football Council to ensure uniform rules across the country, and investing time and effort and money in promoting the game nationally, especially in New South Wales and Queensland. The Victorian Football Association managed to continue and to recruit additional clubs and attract a reasonable level of support and coverage in the newspapers. In the press, there were frequent calls for one organisation to control football in Victoria. But the VFA and the VFL did not have a good relationship and cooperation was not common. At times, there was an agreement that players needed to get a clearance to transfer from one competition to the other. One of the reasons the VFL agreed to this was to stop VFA clubs cherry-picking established VFL players and paying them large amounts of money, which had an inflationary effect on the wages of other players. For example, Footscray, still in the VFA, recruited Collingwood's captain Con McCarthy as their captain coach in 1922, paying him £10 per week, compared to the £2.10 shillings he was getting at Collingwood. The agreement on clearances between the competitions succeeded in reducing the number of players switching competitions and reduced the wages spiral. But the agreement fell apart in the lead-up to the 1925 season, when the VFA claimed Coburg from the VFL second 18 competition and the league poached three clubs from the VFA, Hawthorne, North Melbourne and Footscray. The VFA threatened to take the VFL to court regarding this switch of three clubs, but it did not follow through. Instead, along with Coburg in 1925, they recruited Camberwell in 1926 and Yarraville in 1928. In March of 1928, the relationship with the VFA was raised at a VFL delegates meeting with suggestions that the VFA associate itself with the VFL. One delegate proposed that the league hold out the olive branch. But listening to some of the delegates illustrates why many in the VFA thought the league was an arrogant organisation 
with a dismissive attitude to the VFA. Collingwood's delegate, Bob Rush, said, Many blessings have been bestowed on the League, and we ought to be generous in our treatment of the poor. The association represents poverty in football. We are in power, and those in power should be merciful to the powerless. We should not let any paltry thoughts of players we might secure interfere with our voting on this question. And I appeal to delegates to vote in the interests of football. I believe Bob Rush was genuine in his thinking about what was best for football. And his analysis of the strength and weaknesses of the respective organisations was probably accurate. But I am sure the words he used and the impression created would not help get the VFA clubs on side. They were a proud organisation, proud of their heritage as the original football organisation in the state, and not likely to appreciate talk of poverty. During March and April, there were many discussions and the association did approach a conference with the VFL as a matter of significance, with the potential for affiliation, but not amalgamation. Affiliation was seen as a starting point to a more constructive relationship with the league, especially addressing the stopping of transfer of players without clearances, as well as working together in the best interests of the game generally. The potential for soccer and rugby union clubs to take over existing football grounds was also identified by the VFA delegates as a real threat if VFA clubs were forced out of existence. The position of the Brunswick Football Club was used as an example of 36 players on their list from the last season. 16 were at training with VFL clubs. As well as affiliation, the VFA proposed several options to take to the meeting with the VFL, including discussions of a two-tier competition with the VFL as Tier 1 and the VFA as Tier 2, with promotion and relegation, or alternatively, two conferences with the top two teams to play off for the Premiership, amongst other options. These were reviewed by Forward in the Age, noting that VFL clubs were not keen on a relegation scheme because of the fear that once a club fell into Division 2, it would have difficulty in regaining its spot in the top-tier competition. Also, the potential problem if Melbourne were relegated, which could lead to the MCG being unavailable for finals. I'm not sure I find that argument particularly convincing, given that the MCG was managed by the Melbourne Cricket Club, and even the VFA had been able to use the ground on occasions, generally much to the VFL's displeasure. Despite the willingness of the VFA to move forward on affiliation and the various options that they brought to the table, the most important meeting between the two bodies, as described in the newspapers at the time, ended up in an anticlimax. The VFL rejected affiliation because the VFA had no district scheme or zoning of suburbs to restrict players to a specific club based on where they live. The league also refused to commit to the hold-on-player clearances between the two competitions that had been in place in the lead-up to the start of the 1928 season. The only result of this most important conference was an agreement to form a new committee with five members from each body and an independent chair. By the middle of May, there had been little progress, and Old Boy in the Argus wrote of the league's attitude. If one asked the league delegates 
collectively or individually, what is the controlling body in football? The answer would be the league. If one went further and said, what does the league control? The answer would be everything but the association. If another question was asked, how is that body to be disposed of? The league delegate that knew their history would reply, We've been endeavouring to do that since 1897 without avail. We took Richmond, then North Melbourne, Footscray and Hawthorne. But new clubs joined the association. We've taken their players, but the clubs keep going. Some might say that this is a pretty fair summary of the VFL's attitude then and until the demise of the VFA. The end result of the consultations was a meeting in June where the VFL proposed aligning individual VFA clubs to VFL teams with each league team allowed two clearances per year from their allocated VFA club. For example, Carlton would be aligned with Brunswick, Collingwood with Northcote, South Melbourne to Port Melbourne and St Kilda to Brighton. Melbourne would have the choice of two players from across the VFA and Geelong would not be given any access given that they had the entire Geelong region at their doorstep. It was not an acceptable position for the VFA, who felt that they were being forced into a subordinate position, although it was a preview of the eventual alignment of the VFA and AFL clubs in Victoria when the AFL dispensed with reserve teams at the end of the 1990s. In a preview of future trends, there was an extraordinary puff piece or public relations article written by League President Dr William McKelland in the Herald shortly after the unproductive June meeting with the VFA. It sung the praises of the VFL and rewrote the history of the split between the VFA and the clubs that established the VFL. According to this article, it was not the threat to equalise gate revenue between all clubs that drove the formation of the VFL, rather the unruly behaviour when visiting teams were stoned by spectators after defeating the home club at certain grounds. A look at some of the crowd behaviour in the recent VFL seasons would undermine this argument, while there is truth in the point that the VFL supported country leagues by sending out umpires each week far and wide. There were many who felt that the league had treated the association poorly. When the league's proposition was reviewed at the association delegates meeting in July, it did not get an enthusiastic reception. There was the concern that if a VFL club wanted their two players, those men would be forced to move to the league. Also, the association had been an innovator in Australian football and affiliation with the VFL would mean following Australian Football Council rules. No room for the association's individuality. Despite these concerns, no final decision was made and the subcommittee would work with the league subcommittee before any recommendations were made. At the end of July, the league and association subcommittees met again. The association said that the league's proposal was not acceptable. The association was prepared to discuss affiliation on similar terms to Ballarat and Bendigo leagues, discuss the agreement on player clearances, or consider other options proposed by the league. But the VFL pointed out that the Ballarat and Bendigo leagues were in a different position to the VFA, as very few of their players came down to Melbourne. After further discussion, including the option of a truce for a year in the matter of clearances while the VFA considered the option of a district scheme, it was agreed that the parties would review options and reconvene at a date to be confirmed.
but by August, the association delegates confirmed their rejection of the lead proposal for affiliation. They had submitted six proposals to the League, which had been rejected. The only suggestions from the League were to legalise the pirating of association players. The VFA delegates stated that the only way the association could hold its own was for clubs to be loyal. While a few years ago, every club was trying to get into the VFL, they should look at the consequences for Hawthorne, who were no better off than they would be if they were in the VFA. Their attendances were down and their costs were up. However true this argument might have been in 1928, if you do look at the long term, this example of Hawthorne doesn't quite work. While the proposition from the League had been rejected, the option was still open if the association wanted to put something else to the League. But in September, the League reviewed the correspondence with the association and disbanded their subcommittee. So the proposal for affiliation would end there. In the end, it would all end for the VFA when it was rebranded to the VFL in 1996. And most of the remaining clubs were then aligned to Melbourne-based AFL teams, as previewed in 1928. A year when the VFA and VFL seriously looked at affiliation and cooperation. The VFL would not give away much in the way of compromise, and the VFA wanted to retain their independence and their dignity, and they would continue for many decades with a loyal following. I hope you enjoyed that little detour from our regular episodes, and we can only imagine the alternate history of football in Victoria and nationally if the VFA and the VFL had worked out a way of cooperating. But I think the end result probably would not have been that different, given the strong resistance to any proposal that included relegation and promotion between the two competitions. So now it's time to go back to preparing for the 1929 episode. If you've enjoyed Grand Final History, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast from. The more goals we kick, the easier it is for others to find the podcast. If you have questions or want to leave feedback, please email me at info at grandfinalhistory.au or check out their website, grandfinalhistory.au or Facebook or Twitter for more Grand Final History. Mm-hmm.